podcast listeners, and welcome back to the Rational Face Podcast, the best podcast on the blabbernacle. I am your host, Brian Dillman. As you probably noticed with the intro music that's different than usual, Sugar Blues by Clyde McCoy, recorded in 1931, we have another episode of the Ask the Mormon Sex Therapist series. This is part 17 in our series, and here Jennifer answers two more questions submitted from listeners. Both of these questions address the topic of desire and desirability from different points of view, and how rejection in different ways over time can affect a person's view of themselves. So with that brief intro in hand, let's jump right to it. We are back again with another Ask the Mormon Sex Therapist episode with me, Brian, and Laurel and Jennifer. Laurel and Jennifer, say hello. Hi. It's good to be back. Our last episode uh, on this topic was really quite popular. It had generated the most discussion that we've had um, on these episodes or on the podcast in general and uh, had a lot of downloads and so we're going to be bringing some questions from the that comment section and discuss them here in this episode today um before we get started uh jennifer you have an announcement or some sales that will be coming up on some of your courses Mm -hmm. yeah so i um as probably a lot of listeners know i have online courses for uh, LDS couples and individuals and um, a course on improving your relationship, a course for couples on improving your sexual relationship, and then a course on how to talk to your kids about sex and a course for women on desire. And so anyway, the two couples courses are all new, both in content and delivery. It's a huge uh, step up. So I'm very excited about both the courses but they're all going to be 20% off for Valentine's Day. I think starting um, about the 1st of February, well, the sale will be. So um, so it's a great possible Valentine's Day gift. And you can also, when you, if you decide to purchase, you can put in the notes that you want it to be delivered on Valentine's Day if you want your spouse to not know about it until that day. And then the other announcement, although this is a little bit uh off, you know, far off. I'm going to be doing a another course online in the fall on dealing with pornography as either the person who um, is looking at pornography or the spouse of that person, and also the topic of intimate deception and how, as a couple, to deal with that. So um, I haven't set up the dates or the actual structure of that course yet, but I will um, do that relatively soon. All right, so a lot of stuff going on there. Yeah, and uh, actually one of those courses was picked up pretty quickly for our Liahona Fa- Children's Foundation fundraiser. Uh, Jennifer donated one, and it was one of the first perks to go. So they're selling like hotcakes. <laughs> <laughs> and if you forgot and meant to donate to our fundraiser for the Liahona Children's Foundation, you can still do that, and we'll leave a link to that in the the show notes for this episode. Yep. And there's still some uh, good perks left on there. There's, um, there's sex and world peace by Valerie Hudson. There's some art that, uh, 
pretty popular. There's, yeah, there's just quite a few nice little things still left. Yeah. So go and find those things. All right. Well, I think that just about covers all the normal introductory sort of things. Um, maybe we should get right to our first question. All right. So uh, she references last episode in her question here. Uh, she says, this question from last episode really hit home for me, but in the opposite way. My husband and I have been married over 40 years. In the beginning, our sex life was wonderful, and I felt very connected to him. After we had our first baby, he withdrew a little, but not too bad. It wasn't until after the second and third that he really seemed to not want to have sex. I gained about 30 pounds over my pregnancies, and he told me he wasn't as attracted to me. I went on diet pills to lose weight, which changed my personality so much that I had to give them up eventually. I've never really lost the weight, although I haven't gained any either. He was working with a lot of people who were going through divorces around that time, and I think the stories of their bad marriages tainted his view of marriage for what it's worth. About this time, he told me he thought I was a nymphomaniac, which really hurt me. I don't think I am at all. I was just a normal woman with normal desire for my husband. After he said that, I pulled back and didn't ever approach him for fear of being rebuffed. And to top it all off, he developed high anxiety with performance, which meant he was even less interested. He worked shift work at the time and started coming home and having sex with me in the middle of the night while I was asleep, which made me really mad. I wanted sex. I wanted to be intimate with him, but he denied me that even when he did want to have sex. I tried to talk to him several times. He's extremely inhibited and very uncomfortable with discussing it. I tried counseling with and without him, but about the time we'd hit sensitive subjects, he was done. Nothing has seemed to help. After we'd been married 30 years or so, I finally just gave up. I felt so undesirable that I just turned my sexual self off. That's how it's been for more than 10 years. Recently, he told me he'd like to try having sex again. I told him that was fine, but he hasn't approached me at all. Sometimes I think maybe he wants me to approach him. I don't know for sure. All I know is that I'm still so hurt from his rejection all these years, and I've become comfortable being asexual, that I have no desire to initiate anything. Listening to this podcast makes me feel as if I've been abused all these years, and it makes me angry and sad. I really don't know where to go with these feelings from here. I would certainly appreciate your insight. Okay, great. And I'm actually glad to have the woman's perspective on this because we have such a cultural stereotype that women are always the sexually low desire ones and the rejecting ones. When in my experience, there's plenty of marriages in which the man is the lower desire person. And in my view, the one who never really chooses in the marriage. Um, so let me just kind of start with some of the questions that are in my mind as I'm reading this where if I was in a clinical interview, I would be, this, this is the information that I would be interested in uh, to just help make sense of what's happened in the marriage. So, you know, one question I have is, is to the questioner is, how do you make sense of your husband's non-desire? How do you make sense of him wanting sex in the middle of the night while you're half asleep? And how do those two ideas go together? you know, that he doesn't want you when you're sort of awake and desiring, but he does still want sex when you're not present, really. And uh, how do you make sense of those two realities? Um, you know, because at least where I go in my mind is it sounds like 
and if I had more information from her, I may see it a little differently, but it sounds like that your husband wanted a low contact marriage, low intimacy, sex perhaps, right? But not to have intimate interactions with you, that he didn't want to desire you. He didn't want to choose you. He didn't want to really be in intimate contact with you physically and emotionally um, or to deal with why he didn't desire you. Right. I mean, if there was some issue that was actually inhibiting him that needed to be dealt with, he wasn't dealing with it. And it sounds like from the question that you could feel this and it and it was and it has made you very upset, you know, that, you know, that you wanted sex, you wanted to be intimate with him, but he would deny you that even when he wanted to have sex. So it wasn't about like, I really have zero desire sex for sex. Uh, he had that, but he didn't want the sort of intimate interaction with you. And I think, you know, that he's basically saying, I don't choose you. I don't really want to have an intimate relationship. Uh, and then it sounds like he was critical of you probably, or at least perhaps as a way to justify not choosing you. I mean, 30 pounds overweight, especially when it sounds like you're a woman trying to be fit and healthy is in my view, not a deal breaker. Uh, this is really about not choosing the person you've married. Um, and I think he was comfortable keeping you in that rejected state for years and years and not dealing with it or addressing it. And I think you're right to say that it's heartbreaking and it's hard and it's, you know, that it's, it's abusive. It's not nice. So I guess as I'm thinking about it, here are some of my thoughts about it. Um, again, these are questions I would be talking to you about, but how do you make sense of tolerating this behavior for so long? Meaning, how do you make sense of accepting from him not being chosen by him? And how did he and you make you the focus of his non-desire? Right? He, he wasn't claiming that he had a problem. He was saying you had a problem and he didn't want to deal with it. Um, and I think, you know, I, I understand that you recognize on some level that he was taking advantage, not being kind, not choosing you, but you also are saying in the question that you felt so undesirable and so my question to you, and this is just to better understand yourself, why do you think you accepted the idea that you weren't desirable rather than your husband wasn't choosing you? I, mean, I, I can see in your question, you sort of straddled both things. You see him not choosing you, but you also took it personally. Um, so maybe a question for you is, do you think your husband's non-desire for you is a function of good judgment on his part or a function of poor judgment on his part? And if you think it's poor judgment on his part, why do you think you made it about you on some level in your mind rather than seeing what he was doing in the marriage? See what I mean by that? That you're making this about you on some level. And sometimes we do that because we would rather see ourselves as impaired than really see who our spouse is. We would rather believe there's something we could do to make our spouse choose us than really acknowledge that, that this is a limitation in them or an unwillingness in them 
to really choose and love you because it allows us to feel like we have control over something we don't or that there's maybe something we can do about this when we kind of know in our gut there may not be. Uh, If you think it was good judgment on your husband's part to say that you weren't desirable, what do you think made it difficult for him to choose you? Meaning, was there something in your behavior or your engagement in life or in your engagement with him? Meaning, were you mean to him? Were you cruel to him? I mean, were there was there something that you think could make somebody with good judgment not choose you? And if there was, why do you think you didn't deal with that? I'm not hearing in the question that there was, but I I certainly think it's worth thinking about. Um, If you've been unclear about your desirability in the face of his not choosing you, what do you think you would need to deal with in yourself to be clear that choosing you is a wise choice? Meaning that to be clear that you are a desirable woman, whether or not he's going to desire you, right? It's a way of reclaiming your dignity in the face of your husband's limitations rather than giving your sense of self over to a limited person. And this is very important for being able to act and make decisions in your marriage in the face of your husband's limitations. In fact, the more clear you get and the stronger you get about this, the more ability you're gonna have to actually move your marriage and your life forward in some meaningful way because it's the dependency on him uh, that you have expressed somewhat through this question that has given him the ability to jerk you around around this issue for so long. And then I think, how do you make, there's another question I would have for you is how do you make sense of him saying that he'd like to try again? Um, You know, do you think it's about him really wanting to deal with the marriage? Do you think he's just wants to have sex, but he doesn't want to deal with the marriage and he is trying to, you know, get you to be more willing to have sex in the middle of the night, you know, on some level, do you think he's just trying to look like a good guy, but doesn't really want to deal with the marriage? Do you think he does want to deal with the marriage, but doesn't know way maybe where to start? So I think, um, I, in general, I would just say, I think you as a couple would have great difficulty. Let me just say for you, I think you would have great difficulty really opening up to the possibility of something truly different or better happening between you without an honest understanding between you of what happened uh, within him, how he and you understand your respective roles in the marriage that was created up to this point and why and how you each want it to be different, meaning why you would like for it to be different, why he would like for it to be different and, and how you would each need to engage differently to create that. Because I think if you don't really openly and honestly deal with that, I think moving forward will fall apart very quickly because you won't trust it and because so much is not dealt with. And if it doesn't really get dealt with and addressed, it's very unlikely that you're going to create a different foundation for the marriage. So, um, you know, it's, it is costly in a marriage to not choose your spouse. Um, it creates enough resentment and misery uh, that you pay a dear price for doing that in a marriage. I think, you know, it's possible he on some level acknowledges what he's done, but I think 
you know, when he, you're saying he's uncomfortable dealing with difficult topics, it sounds, it's not so much that he's, I mean, he may be squeamish about sexuality. That may be a piece in this, but he sounds like he's squeamish about dealing with his own behavior and his own limitations and how they've impacted you. So I think he would need to tolerate that discomfort if the marriage is going to move forward differently. I think if he doesn't want to deal with his part, then I think on your side, um, again, this issue of separating your desirability from his choices and your worthiness of being chosen from his choices and deciding how you want to be in relationship or not be in relationship to this marriage in the face of that what is an expression of your wisdom or your integrity in the face of what your husband will or won't choose. So that's my response. I don't know if either of you have a response or thoughts about what I'm saying. Uh, Kind of two clarifications that I could think of. Um, One is when you talked about um, having your sense of desirability um, dependent on your spouse, I think, especially in LDS culture, I think most people would think, well, that's a good thing, right? Like you should be dependent. Like that that's what a marriage is supposed to be. So like I I I don't that just for me clicked where I thought, oh, you know, several years, you know, maybe 10 years ago, I would have thought, well, of course I'm gonna be dependent on my spouse for my desirability. Um mm-hmm. yeah, okay. So, so thanks. That's good. I mean, I think what I would say on that is that this what I'm speaking to is a natural thing in our development as people that when we are immature in our development, our dependency on other people to manage our sense of self is high. And as we mature relationally and spiritually, our dependency on others to tell us, give us a sense of legitimacy should go down as we become more and more clear about who we are and our own worthiness and our own sense of self. And so if you are with someone who is telling you you're worthless, which I think is also going to be the case in one of the next questions, right? That they're doing that to take advantage of you. That dependency is a liability, and your ability to think about who your partner is and what they're doing and who you are, the ability to tease that apart is at the core of your strength. You know, Christ had, he was not dependent on other people's approval to manage his sense of self. That's why he was such a clear force for good. He didn't need people to like him in order for him to do goodness to, in the world and to the people around him because he was clear about who he was and his own sense of right and wrong and who and he was clear about the people he was in relationship with and so this is not about being uh, impassive about other people's feelings it's not being about being above it you know it's about being able to um wisely assess you know yourself and the other person and what's really happening and make good judgments in the face of that. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. It's about being able to, uh, well, it's, it's <laughs> in some ways to totally oversimplify this. It's putting on your own mask before helping others. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's about, um, yes. I mean, 
that's true on some level. I probably won't pursue that metaphor right now, but I think it's about getting more and more able to take in the information that's around you without being in reaction to it and being able to discern and find what is true um, and being willing to face what's true about you and about someone that you love deeply, even when it hurts. That's at the core of wisdom. Okay, yeah, because I know sometimes I try to hide from my own weaknesses by focusing sure. on another person. You are not alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, and the, the, the other clarification real quick was um, when you talk about understanding your desirability apart from your partner, mm-hmm. I can see some people interpreting that like, oh, so she's supposed to, like, dress really sexy and go to the club or something. Um, like. Uh-huh. What does that really mean? Right. So that's a good clarification too. I mean, what I mean by being clear about your desirability is that, you know, I'm, that is to say, I'm clear that I am a good choice, that I am a solid, loving woman who uh, it is poor judgment not to choose, not because um, I'm size two and 20 years old that's not what makes me desirable. I'm desirable because I am a a wise, kind, decent person who, you know, has not been self-neglecting, right? That's, I'm talking about desirability from a kind of wiser and broader frame, not from the sort of narrow cultural, um, kind of image focused view of desirability. Right. So, you know, there's times when I'm acting badly in my marriage and I do not feel desirable and I'm right (laughs) (laughs) because I'm being mean or I'm being reactive. Mm -hmm. And I look exactly the same as another moment when I know I'm being kind and decent and accountable and loving. And I feel desirable because I know I'm functioning like a woman who's a a good choice to be close to. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, this, uh, first of all, um, in reading through the comments from the last episode and these questions, you know, I just, I, I think empathize is the right word that this just all this sounds really hard. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, sure, being rejected from by your spouse in any way is really difficult. And, you know, developing uh, self-assurance sufficient to be able to say, yes, I am desirable, even in the face of, you know, any imperfections that we're all our own imperfections that we're all very aware of. That's I think that's yes. very hard to do. It is hard. I'm glad you're saying it. It is hard. So I hope I never sound glib. I think it's hard work, but I would say development into wise people is hard work. Yeah. (laughs) You know, life is hard. It pressures us in a lot of painful places and we can resent those painful points. We can resent those growth pressures or we can sort of use them to forge more wisdom in a world that's hard and harsh sometimes. And I think that's, what it is to become more godlike, but that's very different than saying it's easy or if you're a good person, you'll just find this to be 
a walk in the park. That's just not true. Right. <laughs> these are these are hard challenges, but you get clearer and freer if you sort of let them pressure you into more wisdom. Yeah. All right. So this uh, second question reads, my wife and I got married when we were both young. I having just arrived home from my mission and my wife having just turned 18. We were both young and attractive, but we are now in our 30s. My job lets me stay very physically active and I enjoy exercising. My wife, not so much. Between 12 plus years of being a stay-at-home mom, having four kids, and not being very careful about what she eats or if she exercises, she is, she now is someone that I have a hard time being physically attracted to. I love her. And still want to be with her, but it is very difficult to be aroused by her. If I ever try to bring this up, it turns into a very destructive conversation for both of us. How should we handle this? Is there a way I can encourage her? Do I need to just deal with the fact that we are both getting older? Okay, good. So, um, so I'll just say this is this is a sensitive topic. I think this is hard. Uh, hard question to respond to, but I'll try. Um, the question I would have for this man is, are you not attracted to your wife because you haven't really chosen a whole person, right? Uh, and I'll say more about that in a minute. And or, because it can be both, is your lack of desire an expression of your wife's self-neglect? And it could be both or either. Um, you know, that is to say, you know, are you not attracted because you haven't really chosen to love a whole person and you're relating to her too much, uh, that your resentment about her not gratifying you, her not sort of propping up your sense of self, her not, uh, kind of managing your own sort of limited view of another person that you can just feel some disgust or disdain or distance from her easily because you're thinking more about how she impacts you rather than a commitment to really love her. And many of us do this, that we want our spouse to basically gratify our sense of self and make us, you know, look good on our arm and feel, make us feel um, attracted rather than really saying, I'm going to bring my best to this other person, even when she disappoints me, even as she's getting older, even when her body doesn't look the way it did at 18. I, I think, so I, I, I think that's a very important piece to look at and maybe part of why your spouse is getting upset, okay, is she feels like you are expressing a kind of limitation in how you relate to me, that you want me to be there for you. You don't really want to be there for me. I do think, of, to be fair, I think it's also important to bring up that many times, and I think we're somewhat enculturated into this, is that we do kind of teach women to neglect themselves as a function of goodness, that it is a it's a function of goodness, although I disagree with this wholeheartedly, <laughs> to basically suppress your own functioning and to raise children and to um, you know 
prop up the desires and needs of your husband and others around you and to neglect your own self-care and self-development. And so many women are inducted into that role and they move into full-time parenting. And let me just be clear about that for a minute. Full-time parenting is hard work. Uh, I've done it. <laughs> it's, um, it is the most challenging thing I've ever done was being home with three young children and um, having my husband be gone a lot, you know, to be able to hold on to a sense of self in the face of intense needs and young children is, is hard work. So, you know, sounds like your wife has done this for 12 years. I'm sure it's challenging kind of work to do, but is there a kind of what I think often happens and one of the reasons why desire can go down in marriages is, is there is when there is self neglect that um, it can feel that for a woman who has neglected her own self, her self care, her own sense of who she is in the world, her own development in the world, it can be harder to feel both desire and desirable. Um, desire is in its core really it comes through a strong sense of self. That's both the ability to desire in a healthy way and to be clear about your desirability is in a solid sense of who you are and a deep sense of self-respect. And if that gets neglected as it does for many of us and many women in particular, you know, that may be part of what is harder to desire about your wife. You know, someone who is caring for themselves and has a lot of self-respect and is 50 pounds overweight is going to be an attractive woman, right? When I say overweight, overweight by sort of conventional standards, she's going to be an attractive woman because of how she lives, because of how she engages in the world, how she's in relationship to herself. Um, I think you can be uh, 10 pounds underweight, be self-neglecting, to be self-hating, and not be very attractive because of the way you're in relationship to yourself. So is some of the non-desirability about an expression of how your wife is in relationship to herself? Now, I wouldn't give yourself a pass on that too quickly without dealing with the first part of it. Because I think if you don't deal with the first question around the limits of your love and your choosing of your wife, you're going to have no foundation on which to deal with maybe how she hasn't chosen herself either, right? That there may be an issue in the marriage in which she, there needs to be more room both within her and within the marriage for her to care for herself and to forge a life um, beyond caring for the children. I have deep respect for people who care for the dependents in our society, young children, older parents, aging parents, all those things, it does pressure a kind of self-suppression to deal with high need situations. And finding the ability to develop ourselves as well is really important to living life happily. So, you know, maybe this is an expression of an imbalance that's happened in the marriage that needs to be dealt with. Uh, but I think if you are addressing it through, I'm not, you know, you know, you look kind of fat in that dress. I'm not saying that's exactly how you would talk about it, but you know, it's not gonna, it's not gonna go. 
it's going to be seen as you taking care of yourself, not really caring about her. If you really are caring about her, she'll feel it. If you are really caring about her relationship to herself, she'll know it. If you're using that language to cover that you're really dealing with yourself, she'll know it. So I don't know if either of you have a response to that or. Well, my, my first thought in reading the question is just, um, it's kind of, uh, I don't know. It's, it's not entirely surprising because when we think of sexy and the way that our culture portrays that it's a young, thin woman with a, Mm -hmm. you know, a look on her Her face that she is very full of desire and is obviously desired by the people looking at her. And with men, it's a little different. They can wear a suit and live to an older age and have a wider latitude in their body type and still be an attractive man. But we have this really narrow window that we've consumed and devoured through all the different kinds of media that we have of what is sexy. And so including LDS media, right? Yeah. Um, and so when our spouse breaks out of that narrow window, we kind of feel like they need to get themselves. I mean, it's, I'm not saying we all do, or Mm -hmm. (laughs) this is a sensitive question, but it's, it makes sense that someone would say, now, wait a second, you're not doing it for me anymore because you're outside of this window. So please get back in there so you can satisfy my my desires and some of the things that you've talked about in the previous question and in this one are expanding sexiness or desirability beyond that window and outside of strictly physical uh, parameters. Yes, exactly. Right. And um, absolutely. I mean, I think that there is both a very narrow view of what is an attractive woman in our society, like a ridiculously narrow view. And I think there's also a kind of enculturated entitlement in men that they should somehow get that, you know, that that's part of a good marriage. She's always going to be sexy and attractive. You know, the movies, anytime someone's happily married, the wife is, is always the sort of conventional picture of attractiveness. And, you know, it, it makes it, if you buy into that view, you will deeply limit your life. Um, you or know. you'll be frustrated <laughs> your whole life trying to fit in that window Absolutely. the entire time. Absolutely. And so, you know, at least in my good moments in relationship to myself, I am like, look, my, my stretch marks, they're sexy <laughs> because <laughs> they're a testament to the fact that my body was able to give birth to three beautiful children who, um, you know, it's an expression of my capacity as a woman and I am not going to reject it or to devalue myself for what my body has been able to do. And even as it's aging, what it's an expression of. So there is, you know, the culture doesn't offer us those meaning frames, but that's a truer meaning frame than these very limited pictures of desirability. You know, these models are not desirable women. They, <laughs> in the sense that their lives are often, you know, very high anxiety, high focus on perfectionism. These would be hard women to really love or make love to because they're often limited people. So, uh, yeah, I was, my, my thought 
and and I I should say I'm coming at this from someone who, like I, I this this question is very difficult for me to read because I come at it from someone who dealt with eating disorders for several years. Yeah. Um, so like reading this is kind of like I mean I'm I've moved past them a lot, but had I read this question in the middle of my eating disorder, it'd been like my biggest fear realized. Mm, like yeah. oh true people only love you if you're beautiful and they will want they will despise you if you're not or they'll be disgusted yeah. by you and your your whole sense of worth and and so i'm just saying like from like with an eating disorder that that is a really intense feeling however i mean i remember this was in college when it was really bad but all of my roommates like and they were all very different people came from very different backgrounds um many of them were very strong confident women all of them dealt with this to some degree of this belief yes. that you are only lovable, you are only desirable if you are conventionally attractive. If you yep. are thin, if you are curvy and muscular and all those, whatever it, whatever it is. Um, and, you know, and like for me getting chronic fatigue and knocking that knocking me on my back was I had I had to come up with a different version. I couldn't go exercise all the time. I couldn't, mm -hmm. you know. I had to come up with a different version of what it meant to be someone of worth. Um, right. And so I, the other thing listening to this, it kind of makes me sad too, to realize um, in a way, like even though I think media limits sexuality very much for both men and women, that men are so limited in being told what they're supposed to desire. Absolutely. Like, I mean, Absolutely. I, when I did study abroad, I, that's where I studied, you know, what people found beautiful and there's no hardwired thing that, you know, there, there's, that's a, right. there's a very, there are a few, there's a few, but overall every culture right, is very much dictated by the culture. And yeah. so, right. And so, you know, what you think about in the sixties in the Maryland, there's a much more voluptuous curvy and in the, you know, Renaissance, these were much more real looking women, you know, and so we have often, I mean, sadly, I think that what the, uh, the culture has promoted as the ideal has been the most difficult to achieve within that culture. Yes. So, you know, here we are like crazy skinny in a, in a food abundant culture. It's cruel. It's cruel and unusual. And it's in it, and it limits both men and women. So, you know, uh, and I think, Honestly, I really do think for myself, I was said to my husband a few weeks ago, I said, I think one of the reasons why I have stayed thin and taken you know, decent care of myself has been because I mapped pretty quickly in this marriage that you didn't care. Meaning I figured out very quickly because I was assessing for it, that you were going to love me irrespective of it, you know, that I remember my husband saying to me one time, the only thing that would be hard for me is if you were in a self-hating relationship, that would be very hard. Uh, but he said, I really will have no trouble. If you put on 40 pounds, I will love you. I, and I just knew, have known that's true. And I think recognizing that there isn't this limit has allowed me the freedom to be just in a self-respecting relationship with myself to not be worrying about earning somebody's love or commitment to me. So, yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've found that too with my own, when I really, in a sense, when I realized my husband honestly didn't 
really care. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he, exactly. His, Which his, is true for a lot of men. Yeah. yeah. His care was that I was, I mean, his care was for my health and my happiness. Right. Um, right. And when I realized that, that he would support whatever was going to make me healthy and happy with myself, it, yes. it was freeing. It was freeing yeah. for me to say, oh, well, then I'm going to take care of myself because I want to do that. I yes. want to do that because I'm happier. I'm I feel more whole when I'm exercising and eating right and all those kinds of things. Um, and, yep. and it makes our marriage healthier. <laughs> yes, um, so I guess, for, and especially yeah. from, I was just going to say one, one thing from my perspective as someone who can be very sensitive to these issues. Um, if I was, I'm just kind of trying to put myself in that position. If I was in that position, my husband had come up with these things and just un kind of awoken all these horrible insecurities. Um, I think you pointed out really well, like if he was coming and saying, I want you to take care of yourself, but I could tell it's just because he wanted me to get skinny. It yeah. wouldn't do anything. However, yeah. if he really did come and say, I, something where I, I'm worried that you are becoming overwhelmed and the things I've said have made that worse. I want you to take care of yourself first, whatever that means, and gave me the freedom yeah. to say, whether you still gain 20 more pounds or whether you want to go exercise it off because it's your choice, um, that would be incredibly freeing and probably motivate me to do what I wanted. And I think most people want to be healthy. <laughs> right, right. Um, but they're in a sense to have that permission and to have that love. I mean, it really is. It's love to say, I, I right. care about your outcome. About I choose you. Yeah, I choose you. And, you know, if you're going to be happily married up to the end, you have to choose a person because it it, it all goes downhill, so to speak. I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, you're, if you, if it's about the image, you know, we're all toast. Uh, so you if you really choose a person, you know, we're all going to be drawn to youthful, perky bodies on some level because we're somewhat wired to that that in terms of just reproduction. Right. But it's really about choosing the person inside the body and knowing that, you know, that that's what you choose. You love them, that their body's a comfort to you because it houses the person that you choose and you love and you value and you've spent your life with. And so anyway, I think it's part of our maturation. Oh, I have a quick question. Um, are there any tips for making that shift? Because I noticed it in my own marriage when it shifted from the more physical kinds of like feeling aroused by that to actually being aroused by the person themselves. Um, mm -hmm. And so like, I, you know, I think a lot of people have like gradually make that shift, but are there things that can help that? Well, I do think this issue of the, of choosing your spouse and I, I maybe sound like a, it's sounding sort of too simplistic about it. I think that it's the, again, as I talked a little bit about in the last podcast, eroticism is highly linked to the meanings that we create. And so if we have a meaning frame that somebody has to be perky and, you know, looking lustful at all times to be desirable, we're going to have a tough go. I mean, if uh, it's about like, I really value this person and who they've been in my life and what we've created together and that I, these are meanings that are powerful for me and, are linked to my desire, you're not, you're going to have a much easier time creating a high eroticism marriage for life. And so 
when I'm talking about choosing a person that's fundamental to being able to make that shift that I'm choosing to bring my sexuality and my desire and my best to this person, not because they always turn me on, not because they always are, you know, um, gratifying me, but because they, I've chosen to invest in them. And that's what's at the core of a good marriage is the choice. You know, other, other love relationships are biological, children, parents, siblings. Marriage is the one that's fully based in choice, that you bring your best to someone because you choose to. And when you've really made that choice and you live in the product of creating that, that is really the basis of eroticism, how to say it, that's not about, it's a kind of clarity of separation in a marriage at the same time that you're really choosing. You understand it is that the person doesn't belong to you or you're not entitled to them, but that they're a separate person that you choose day after day after day. So it's very much in the meaning that you've created within the context of your marriage. And if entitlement is there or taking for granted the other person, uh, that's going to undermine eroticism no matter what they look like. Well, I think one thing is that the culture thing kind of bothers me because like you were saying at one point, men have like a narrow view of what 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 is okay or what is the right thing to desire and it's mm-hmm. this you know like you said a couple times a perky 20 something beautiful mm-hmm. woman mm-hmm. um but i i think that's that's the cultural message and i think a lot of men are probably a little bit more i don't know if insecure is the right word but one thing that they really do want is to be desired themselves Yes, and that if that's coming from someone that they have this close, deep, long, intimate relationship with, that's going to be a lot more meaningful, and it's going to arouse more passion in themselves than than just a physical, um, beautiful person would that that they don't have that same depth of experience with, and so I think it can be easy to discount that aspect of the relationship um, when we get hung up on the physicalness or the appearance of a relationship. Yes, absolutely. And I think sometimes we're so focused on men being the ones who desire and women being the objects of male desire that we culturally lose track of how deeply men want to be desired and the pain that they often feel in not being chosen in a marriage and uh you know absolutely being chosen being wanted being desired that's high high impact stuff for decent men anyway yeah it's very meaningful i think for a lot yes um i think we're kind of out of time as far as recording time but we do have one question that was brought up i think in the comments in the last podcast episode um and so we, it's about trust and pornography, and we've kind of talked about these issues several times. But that will be, we'll address that first thing on the, the next episode, which we'll try to do in just a couple weeks, maybe a month or less from now. Great. Um, so thank you both, Laurel and Jennifer, for coming on the Rational Face podcast yet again. 
Great. Thank, Thank you. Thank you.